You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning, Westwind Church. Uh, it's a great joy to be gathered with you and to sit under the teaching of God's Word uh, this morning. My name is Matt. Uh, I serve as a missionary in Southeast Asia, and it's a great joy uh, to be partnered with Westwind Church. Uh, our family's back here this summer for a number of months, getting to visit, see many of you, spend time with family, and, and we're just so thankful uh, for the partnership we have with Westwind Church. We, we've been able to see the Lord do great things in our city, and, and we're eager to meet with more of you and, and share that in person. Uh, I'm excited to, to sit and consider this morning uh, Luke chapter 13. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 13. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to share a couple of pictures with you, a couple of images that you're well familiar with. They don't need a lot of introduction. Uh, the first one here, of course, is, is a more recent incident, something that uh, has occurred and, and caused a great social upheaval across our nation in the past uh, month and more. And, and the second one, likewise, really needs no introduction. We're, we're all familiar with uh, maps such as these as we've tracked what is happening across the globe and, and how this has impacted each one of our lives. Uh, I share these images with you this morning, not because you're not familiar with them or, or you haven't been following this, but, uh, but because in our passage today, uh, in a similar way, the, the people who have been following Jesus, they come to him and they ask him about two current events. Uh, they're wondering why these things have occurred. And for as much coverage as we've seen in, in the news and, and on social media about uh, racial division, about COVID-19, I doubt you've heard much of people addressing why are these things happening? Uh, what is at the core of these issues? Where are they coming from? Uh, yes, racism, but why is there racism? Uh, yes, disease and pandemics, but why are there pandemics? And Jesus is actually going to answer uh, that in part for us in this passage and, and give us insight into why some of these things are occurring. Uh, so let me begin by reading verses 1 through 5 for us. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So the context here is, is a number of people have been following Jesus. In fact, if we go back a couple of chapters, we see there's, there's crowds of thousands of people. And in this case, they're coming up to Jesus and they're, they're asking him about two events. 
right? The first one uh, is an incident we don't know much about. There's, there's not much information in the New Testament or, or even in history books about what was happening here. Uh, the best we can piece together is that some, some Jews had gone to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices in the temple. And, and Pilate, right, the Roman ruler of that area, uh, he had the Jewish people murdered. He had them unjustly killed. And then he took their blood and mixed it with their sacrifices. So he commits this abominable offense, uh, defiling the worship of these people, uh, scoffing and mocking at them, and, and really showing his contempt for the worship of Yahweh. And, and so we see this, this instance where there's in unjust suffering, where there's human tragedy. And people are asking Jesus, why did these people suffer that way? Uh, we can infer from his answer that, that they're, they're wondering, is it because they were worse sinners that God brought specific judgment? Uh, and so likewise, we see in the second instance, uh, the instance where some people were, were perhaps going to work uh, one day in Siloam or, or passing along the road and, and a tower falls and a great accident occurs. And, and Jesus likewise says, do you think that it's because they were worse sinners because it was their, because of their own personal sin? And he says, no, emphatically no, uh, but unless you likewise repent, you will also perish. And so what we see is that Jesus as he's discussing the nature of human tragedy and natural disasters, he gives us insight to the reality that not all natural disasters, not all human tragedies and, and injustice are a result of one's personal sin. Uh, it was a common idea in the first century that, that if you lived an upright, righteous life, things would go well for you. Uh, you might remember the story of Jesus with his disciples and they see a man born blind and they say, who sinned? Uh, was it his parents uh, that caused this to happen to him? And Jesus says, no. And so again, Jesus is dispelling this, this uh, notion that if we just live good lives, good things will happen. And if we live bad lives, bad things will happen. And he's saying there's something bigger going on. Uh, not only uh, is it not because these people sin that these things have happened in particular, but everyone deserves uh, to experience death and, and, and in a sense, natural disasters and suffering in a similar way unless we repent. And, and so the second thing we see is that uh, these natural disasters and human tragedies actually reveal to us what we all deserve. Uh, Jesus gives this surprising answer as they're, they're wondering what happened uh, to the dead. He turns the question from them, uh, from, from the dead to the, the people asking the question. And, and he says, you know, this moment, this instance, this incident is actually an opportunity for you to consider your own mortality, for you to consider uh, what this life and, and this world are all about. And so Jesus gives us insight into the reality that natural disasters and human tragedies at least in part exist uh, to help us understand that we all deserve uh, to die. We all deserve judgment. And so um, when we think about Scripture, we know 
uh, from places like Romans 5.12 that sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin and, and that spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, underlying the, the human condition is a disease of sinfulness. Uh, many years ago in, in the 1980s, uh, a Jewish rabbi, as he's trying to wrestle through these questions, uh, Harold Kushner, he wrote a book, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And he wrote it in response to his, uh, his own son's tragic death. His son had suffered a, a genetic disease and, and tragically passed away when he was 14 years old. And so this rabbi, he's trying to search for religious answers for why are these things happening. Uh, and what he comes up with in this book is, you know, God wants to help us, but in some ways he's limited and therefore unable to fully alleviate us of all of our suffering. But Jesus really turns that on its head here. Jesus is saying, listen, these, these things are, are pointers, they're indicators that something is desperately wrong with the world. Uh, scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death and, and that the whole creation has been groaning and, and longing for redemption uh, because of the decay that's come as a result of sin in the world. And so what we see is that these things like natural disasters, human tragedies, they, these things are not natural in any sense of, uh, of the term. In fact, they're so unnatural because sin has, has brought us into a broken world and we've been brought into this place where we have rebelled against our creator. Rather than worshiping and serving him, uh, we have taken his good gifts and used them for our own pleasure and desires and idolatry and we've denied our creator. We've rebelled against him. And so God has allowed suffering in this world. God has allowed human tragedy, at least in part, to try to wake us up, to try to reveal to us our, our desperate situation. And that's the final thing we see in these verses is that uh, every human tragedy and natural disaster is a merciful wake-up call. It's meant to grab our attention and, and wake us up from our spiritual drowsiness and to say, wait a minute, all is not well here. Uh, something is wrong. Uh, when we think about Harold Kushner's book, the, the right question to ask is not, why do bad things happen to good people, but why do uh, good things happen to bad people? That the scripture is so clear that all of us are so much more sinful than we realize. Uh, we, of course, when we compare ourselves to one another, uh, when, we, when we look at our neighbor and we, we measure ourselves in that way, uh, we don't feel like we're doing too bad in a lot of cases. But when we consider ourselves before a holy God who's perfect in all of his ways, uh, without sin, and we think about how we have lived lives often ignoring, neglecting him, uh, when, when, when we go through our day and he lavishes good gifts upon us, right? Rain and sun and food and family and, and all of these things, and yet we never turn to thank him. But when something bad happens, we, we get angry. Uh, we, we put him on trial. Uh, our hearts rise up within us. And it's because we've put ourselves in the place of God. And so these sufferings, Jesus says, are meant to 
awaken you to your desperate situation, uh, to turn you from looking at the tragedy out there to look at your own heart and to consider the need to repent, the need to turn to God. Uh, Jesus is going to, to give us a parable in this next section uh, that explains more what repentance looks like. How do we repent and, and why is it such a necessity, but also why is it a gift? And so let me read verses six through nine. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. I find none, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put manure on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So, so hear the parable here. Uh, a man has a, a vineyard. He, he plants a fig tree in it, but it's not bearing fruit. Uh, and it's important for us to understand the context here because as we've been going through, as you've been going through the book of Luke, you know Jesus has been first going to the house of Israel. Uh, he's been coming as the promised Messiah to bring the kingdom of God to God's chosen people. And again and again, the response has been rejection. And so this, this imagery of a fig tree, this, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, many times in the Old Testament, Jesus or, or God refers to Israel as a fig tree or Israel as a vineyard. Uh, one of my favorite pictures is in Isaiah chapter five, and, and God talks about how he took Israel and, and he redeemed her and he planted her in a land flowing with milk and honey and, and made her this beautiful vineyard ready to bear fruit. Everything was in place. And, and then notice what he says, starting in verse three, Isaiah chapter five. He says, he came to, to look for grapes, to look for the fruit but it yielded only wild grapes. And so in response to that, God pronounces this judgment on Israel. He says, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked to it for wild, to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you, what will I do to my vineyard? I will remove its hedges and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste and it shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they do not rain upon it. And so what we see here is that uh, God had planted Israel. He, he set her up in every way and yet she failed to bear fruit and so he brought judgment on her, right? Through the prophet Isaiah, he, he told her that they would be sent into a foreign land, into captivity. And, and when we fast forward to the time of Jesus, something very similar is happening here. Jesus as the last prophet, as the Messiah, uh, he is here bringing the kingdom that's been long awaited for. And, and yet, as he's coming and, and calling Israel to repentance, She's rejecting him. Uh, notice if we look down and, and at the end of 
Luke chapter 13 here, in verse 34, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. And so Jesus is telling this parable, first and foremost, in the first century to the nation of Israel. He's saying you've had adequate time to receive the message of the kingdom. And yet again and again, there's been hard-heartedness and resistance, and there's no fruit coming. And so the result is that there's going to be a judgment. And for you and for I, uh, while we're not living in the first century, uh, the, the reality of this is still true. Notice that uh, the, the vine dresser, he pleads uh, for one more year, one more year to, to put manure and, and to manicure and care for this fig tree in hopes that it will bear fruit and it's granted. But that's a short time. Uh, just one year, one year where, where they can uh, repent and bear fruit and receive their Messiah. Of course, we know that Israel didn't. Rather than worshiping her king, they, they hung him on a cross, uh, putting a crown of thorns on his head rather than a proper crown, and they crucified him. And for you and I, what we see here in, in this uh, parable is just how short time is. Right, that we don't, we don't have all the time uh, we want to repent, to, to turn back to God, to open our hearts to him. But that uh, we need to be eager and zealous to turn to God. You see, um, when we think about repentance and the reality of how short time is, uh, it reminds me of uh, when I've been going out lately and doing my morning Devotions. I've been trying to get up early and, and go out to different places, enjoying the cool uh, morning air. And, and on some occasions, I've gone out to different seminary or cemeteries in, in the area. And uh, as I've been there, just finding a place that's quiet and isolated, and as I'm walking along, praying to God, uh, you know, I'll, I'll notice the gravestones as I'm going by. Uh, and you, you see the different lengths of time that people have. Uh, you see the, the heartbreaking gravestones uh, where little 13-year-old Sarah, you know, uh, was buried just recently. And, and you see that gravestone and, and you think about the tragedy of her life being cut short. Uh, you see others that have lived to, to 90, others that have lived to 40. Um, whatever the case, that little dash just represents this short time we have on earth such a short time where uh, we will one day, the, script, the Bible tells us, die, and then after that, we will face judgment. We'll have to give an account to God for our lives. And so, uh, as we think about this parable, as we consider what it means for our own lives, may this be a, a warning and wake-up call to us that time is short. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. And we need to take Jesus' words to heart and make sure that we're those people who are walking in faith and repentance and bearing fruit. You know, maybe you've been a Christian uh, or, or somebody who's been coming to church for a long time, uh, a number of years. Maybe your spouse drags you along and, and you oblige, you come along. 
Uh, and, and maybe if someone really pressed you, you would even, you would profess, yes, I'm a Christian. But if we were to really pull back the curtain and, and, and look at your life and, and consider uh, whether or not there's um, fruit there, right? We see that in, in, in this passage. We see that, that the owner comes and he's looking for fruit on the tree. Uh, and and he, he's wondering, is there outward evidence of an inward heart change? Because true repentance is something that includes both of those. True repentance includes uh, external transformation, but it also includes a heart that loves God. Uh, we see that here as he's looking for fruit externally, and then notice uh, the vine dresser, he says, uh, let me dig around it and put manure on it, right? This vine dresser knows that if he wants to see fruit on the tree, uh, it's not gonna happen by him attending to the leaves and the branches but he's gonna to have to go after the roots. And so true repentance, really, we could define it as, as a, a heart change that leads to a, a changed life. Uh, true repentance is something that begins inwardly and then, and then moves itself outwardly. And so I just wanna pause here and, and ask you, is there true spiritual fruit in your life? What is this fruit? This fruit we might think of Passages like Galatians 5 that talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are, these are manifestations of a Christ-like character, somebody who's growing in Christ-likeness, not perfectly, uh, certainly stumbling forward, uh, all of us sin on a daily basis, but walking in faith and repentance and bearing fruit. Friends, if you're here listening this morning and, and, and you maybe profess the name of Christ, but, but your life hasn't been transformed, would you hear the warning here? Uh, would you be awakened this morning to, to realize that uh, it's not enough just to, to say the right words and to know the right things, but you need to know the living God in such a way that he transforms you from the inside out? And maybe you're here hearing this message for the first time and, and you haven't thought much about the end of your life. You haven't thought about the fact that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and we will face his judgment. Jesus is saying to you this morning, repent, a turn away from your sin and turn toward God to find life. And that's the final thing we see this morning is, is not only the, the necessity of repentance, but really the gift that it is. Uh, the Bible tells us that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And we see in this passage, as evidenced by the vine dresser, that even though he's holy and perfect and, and he will bring a righteous judgment, he's also patient and merciful. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. What is that promise? In this context, it's the promise that he's going to judge the world with fire. He's going to bring everyone into account, and we'll have to give an account of every, every thought, every deed, every word. And yet he's not slow as we think he's slow, but he's patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all people should reach 
repentance. And so do you, do you see the heart of Jesus in this passage this morning? As he's weeping over the people and, and delaying judgment and saying, let these things wake you up uh, as you've uh, distracted yourselves and busied yourselves with so many things other than uh, a true worship of me. Would you come back to me? Uh, would you turn from your sin, recognizing that there's nothing we can do, right? True repentance is not trying to clean yourself up externally. Uh, it's not getting your life together. It's not coming to church more or praying more. True repentance is saying, God, I've messed up. I need your grace and your mercy. It's recognizing that God himself became a man. Here in this passage, we see Jesus face to face with the people he created, with the nation he formed. And, and he's saying, I'm giving you time. I'm delaying that what you rightly deserve because I love you. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. And so repentance is this gift, not just where we, where we turn from a list of sins and we no longer do things so we can uh, escape a fearful judgment. That, that is true. But more than that, we turn from sin and we turn to God himself. And we stop trying to find satisfaction uh, in empty cisterns, but we come to this living fountain, God himself, the source of all life, of all goodness, of all pleasure. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this is what he desires for you. He desires that you would turn from the trinkets of this world, from the, the idols of, of pleasure and success and sex and money and whatever it might be, and give up those things that are like sand through our fingers and to come to him and find life and life eternal, to find the forgiveness of sins, to find abundant joy in his presence. Jesus is saying that these things that are happening in our world are these merciful wake-up calls, right? And, and he gives us insight when we think again about what's happening uh, with the racial tensions, with the coronavirus. Jesus gives us insight that the world doesn't give. He, he lets us know these are, are meant to awaken us, uh, to bring us closer to our Creator, to lead us to repentance and life abundantly. And so this morning, would you come to Jesus? Would you come to him and find rest for your souls? Uh, would you not let yourself become so uh, numb and dull to what's happening? I know for me, as the news just inundates us, it's so easy uh, to turn it off, to become blank, to, to space out, to check out, to think, oh, this is just another thing. But, but may we not do that in this season. May we not waste this time where God is at work across the globe to awaken us to a great need, right? Time is short. We deserve God's judgment, but he offers repentance, forgiveness, and eternal life. So believer, whatever, whatever sin you might be holding on to, whatever thing you might be uh, clinging to, that, that's keeping you from a full, abandoned love of God. Would you let this time uh, not be wasted, but may it wake you up 
to turn from that, to let it go and to turn to God. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, would you hear the merciful words of Christ? Repent, be saved, find life. Uh, this time in the world is, is crazy. It's hard to make sense of. But praise God that he himself has become a man. He's walked on this earth. Uh, he's faced human tragedies. Uh, he's, he's experienced these natural disasters. And he gives us insight into know how we should respond, uh, how we can encourage others in this time and be salt and light. By his grace, may we do that. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have given us your word. You have given us the living word, Jesus Christ, who reveals to us uh, what it means to be truly human, what it means to live in this world, how to understand the things that are happening around us. God, we pray that you would help us make the most of this situation. That as others around us are asking, what's happening? Why is this occurring? God, would you open doors for us to point them to you? Would you help us call people to repentance so that they might find forgiveness and eternal life? And Lord, would you awaken us from our own spiritual stupor? We're so easily distracted, God. We're so easily enamored with uh, lesser pleasures than you. And so God, we pray that you would help us redeem this time and treasure you above all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.